What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Behind the Facade. I'm your host, Gavin J. Gallagher, and on this podcast, I explore the mental and emotional game often playing out subconsciously in your mind and the mind of everyone else in the real estate or property investment market. The key to success in this game is to master your mindset and behavior to get control of your thought processes, your emotions, and most importantly, your ego. So here we are on episode 28. Last week, I was speaking to Mr. Damien Brown of Standard Access, whose company has developed a smartphone activated lock for um, buildings and uh, very interesting to sort of hear how he's monetized access control and allow you to open and sort of close your buildings uh, remotely so you don't need to be there. Welcome to episode 28, guys. This week is a momentous week. And um, with the election and everything like that, if you're listening to this, you know, in the future, then this is the week that um, the presidential election was won. And uh, my guest today was actually, we recorded the episode on the day of the election. And I am now making the edit and, uh, and sort of producing this podcast on the day after the uh, announcement of the winner. So, um, you know, as a teenager, I visited New York City uh, back in the 80s and I was taken aback by just the scale of the skyscrapers and I fully intended to become an architect after that trip. It's amazing how influential it was. I came back to Ireland, studied to become an architect. I hadn't been a very academic person, so me getting into architecture school was highly unlikely, but it's amazing when you've got a will, there's a way and um, studied like crazy, managed to get through. And then I had every intention of actually moving to the US and, and living in New York City. But then while I was in college, my dad died. So I got pulled into the family business. And ironically, it was actually my younger brother who got um, who went to the US. He actually moved to the US and he lived in New York for a decade. Uh, well, just outside, he was he bought a house in Hoboken, New Jersey, and he used to get this boat in every single morning into sort of the Wall Street area where he was working in a technology company. And now he's living in West Palm Beach, Florida, another place that's linked to this election. Uh, anyway, this being the case, my, my interest in New York and the US in general, I have family there. I've owned property in New York. So this week was just what a week. I don't know you guys, but it's been one of the longest weeks of my life. I've uh, been awaiting the outcome of the presidential race. My nails are bitten away after four days of tension. And so it was with great relief I found out yesterday at about 11 o'clock. Well, it was around three o'clock here in Ireland um, or four o'clock thereabouts and um, found out the news went across all of the news stations that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris had just won. So sense of relief. As someone who has been watching the US for more than two decades, I just could not believe the damage that Donald Trump had been doing to America's international reputation. And believe it or not, as a teenager, I was actually a huge fan of Donald Trump. This was back in the 80s. The film The Wall Street was out. Gordon Gecko was, you know, making these great statements that greed was good. And Donald Trump had built the Trump Tower. And I was super impressed with this huge skyscraper and his wealth and all of that. But as I got older, you kind of mature and you start to realize that, wow, you know, there's actually more to the world than, than this kind of stuff. And I, f I, I realized he was absolutely full of it, like obsessed with himself, but not just that, like the amount of horse shit that the guy basically sort of talked. I, I met guys um, over, my, over the course of my career who had actually been involved in deals with him. 
And they were telling me that the guy doesn't own the building. He doesn't even own 1% of the building that he's going around telling everybody he is the, you know, the full owner of and that there's no debt and that he's, it's worth 800 million or whatever. And all he did was just apply his name to it and got a fee for it. And the fee might have been a couple of million, but that was it. So it's incredible. Um, and I just kind of ignored the guy and just stopped, stopped listening to him. But then when he became president and started denying climate change, climate science, and pulled out of the Paris Accord and all that, I started to get really worried that the guy could do some serious harm to the environment. And so anyway, enough of my rant. Given the week that we've had, I thought it was particularly apt to bring on a guest who is actually from the US himself, Mr. Duke Long. So Duke is a commercial real estate broker turned prop tech venture capitalist through his role as entrepreneur in residence at Second Century Ventures. Duke has his very own super popular newsletter and podcast, and that'll kind of become obvious in the course of this discussion today, because as opposed to being kind of like an interview, uh, it actually becomes more of a conversation where he starts asking me questions and stuff. So Duke has been around commercial property and uh, real estate for longer than a lot of our listeners have actually been alive. So tons and tons of great experience and very much, very much like myself, he's of the view that the real estate is long term, that you basically buy for your grandchildren and also that technology is the answer to increasing the value of your portfolio. So look, without any further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Mr. Duke Long. Today we have Mr. Duke Long from New York City. Uh, Duke, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. I, I particularly appreciate you uh, taking time out today on uh, the 3rd of November, which is a pretty important day in, uh, in the U.S. at the moment. Uh, obviously, everyone's out voting today, so um, I don't know if it's, if it's made your day any busier or less busy. I voted way early. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> and we'll see, you know, maybe. I know. Yeah. Who knows what's going to happen after somebody is watching this, but uh, I voted way early. So. We'll great, see. great. Um, just for the purpose of the audience who who might not have heard from you or from, about you before, can you just give us a little bit of a backstory? I mean, you're in New York now, but I don't think you were born there. Um, um, or just give us just a little bit of a backstory on yourself, just so we put sure. a little um, picture. From the, from the Midwest in the United States, uh, real quick, uh, Air Force, went to school for real estate, meaning college for real estate. Uh, owned my own business, started my own brokerage, uh, because uh, as a as my mentor said, you're probably not going to be one of those corporate kind of people, and I appreciate that with him. He's still a great guy. Um, started my own brokerage because I want to get out and do my own deals. Did that. Uh, started hustling, doing whatever kind of deals I could do. If it's putting in a sandwich shop or putting in a hair salon or whatever. Uh, started getting into um, building, developing, uh, multifamily, uh, institutional stuff, when I say institutional stuff, warehousing, um, a deal I can deal I bring up, we bought Walmarts and Walmarts are pretty well known in the United States. We retroed some Walmarts. Um, that's a pretty common thing. Uh, warehouses, again, those kinds of things. So I've done just about all types of deals, raw land and everything like that. Then the tech thing kind of started happening um, because of my volunteering at the local level or the state level uh, in, in my association. And because of my uniqueness of my age, there was a generation in front of me 
they thought I was smart enough to understand the tech, which I kind of was. The tech thing, again, started to happen. And I started to write about it. I started to understand it a little bit. And after, what, 2008, 2009, when that recession hit in the United States, I didn't have a lot to do at that time because there weren't a lot of deals going on. So I started getting interested in that. And some of the companies um, that were booming at that time were starting to go that time. BTS is obviously one that's well-known now that started, yep. uh, CompStack, uh, some of the people at LoopNet back when it was owned by the people at LoopNet uh, reached out to me and that kind of started to grow and blossom. Uh, because of that, uh, I moved to New York because that is the center of the tech and real estate universe, in my opinion. That's where all the money came from. A lot of the building owners, I don't know if people know that, those were the people who started funding those tech companies back in those days. Very smart and uh, innovative people. And that's just kind of how it blossomed up. And to see where it is now here, what, 2020, compared to what it was 2008, 10, 12, 15, now it's this global prop tech thing. Uh, I should have patented that or I should have trademarked that or something. Um, and now it's again, global, it's in the UK. It's, you know, it's everywhere. Uh, it always was everywhere. Uh, and I've enjoyed that part and piece of it. Having said that though, I've never, uh, and I said this to somebody the other day, I've never not walked away from being a broker or doing deals or doing that type of thing. It's always in my DNA. It'll always be in my DNA. I've never really talked about it that much. Uh, the stuff that I write about is always tech-related and uh, relatable to the buildings and brokers and things like that. So that's kind of how it came from there. I'm much more relatable to a CCIM here in the United States or an SIOR, some of those, what I call the, you know, the mini MBAs or the cream of the, the broker parts of it. Uh, I relate to those people really well. Uh, I don't relate as well to the tech side uh, because I am a broker. That's, that's kind of who I think I am. So that's kind of how it blossomed and got to that point. Real estate's in the DNA. Without a doubt. Always has been, always will be. Yeah, Every, yeah. I, I always joke, whenever, whatever, at age, whatever I get, I'll be on the phone talking about real estate, some kind of deal or something, and I'll just fall over somewhere. You know, <laughs> It won't be tech. The tech's hopefully exciting today, and interesting. Yeah, hopefully a long way away. Yeah. Uh, so tell me, uh, just uh, to go back over growing up, were there any you know, major influences that um, kind of guided you in terms of t deciding to go into real estate school or, or anything like that? Like, what was the big influence in your life that time? I, I would say um, part of it was uh, I, it just kind of came naturally for me. It was something that I just understood really well. Uh, a lot of the people that were in it, that I knew that were in the business, they encouraged me. I'll, and I'll just be honest, the guys that I kind of ran around with, I could tell they made a lot of money and that was an incentive to me. It wasn't like there was some kind of big outside influence or some big figure that I saw in that. As I grew up, I didn't grow up very, very rich or anything or were very poor, but um, those people, uh, they encouraged me to get into it because they saw my hustle and they knew that they're like, hey, uh, the guys that were out leasing and doing things like that, they're like, man, you're built for this kind of thing. And it was great. You know, I could, I could relate to it. And as I said, I, the schooling and stuff like that, it was not hard. It's just, it's just not hard. It just wasn't hard to me. So from an influence standpoint, I don't know if there was any one person or anything. I mean, there's some people that I, that I admire or that I paid attention to, like Sam Zell, the, they call yeah. him the grave dancer. Oh, I love his attitude about everything. And, you know, something like that, he's so anti, but he's not. Some of those 
iconic figures that have built and, and done different things. Um, that would be one that would come to mind just because of some of the things they've done. Uh, in New York, um, there are some people actually that I've met uh, that you have heard of that have built certain things because it's New York. Um, and I'm not going to name any other names, but that's, I, you know, it was just more, I would say more localized than some of those people that have influenced me mm. uh, that were professionals. And I think that was, uh, that were mentors to me that saw a little bit in me and they're like, you know, and in a good way, they're like, look, they wanted the business to be better. They wanted to get good people in the business. You know, they weren't afraid of competition or anything like that. So I would say that was probably more influence than anything. Mm. And did you go straight from there into setting up your own business or did you work for other firms? Uh, at the beginning, because of the laws, I kind of had to do it just a brief time. And it basically took me about a year because that's the time that it takes before you can get your own thing set up. As nicely as anyone said, I was never going to be kind of a corporate type person. I just, and I love big green and all those big corporate firms. Uh, I, I understand that environment, but I just was never going to function well in that. Uh, I have my own ideas. I have my own thoughts. I can trust myself. I was going to do it on my own. Um, everybody that I've worked with at those firms are fantastic. I just was going to do it my way and go put my deals together and create and all that. And, uh, my, my best, the mentor who helped me get there basically helped start Big Green in, in the area that I was in. So it was just that, that entrepreneurial spirit that I had. I was just going to be awesome. that way regardless, yeah. with, without a doubt. And I didn't want, I just didn't want to be in that, okay, we're on the team, we're in that environment. And it's uh, held me very well for a long, long time. Um, yeah, not everyone is built for the corporate life, that's for sure. Oh, um, and again, uh, nothing but positives about those people in that thing, it's just not me. It was never going to be me. Yeah. I that yeah. a long way back. I mean, setting up, how long are you in business now since you, since you set it up? Uh, I think 2000, 2098. It's been over 20, 22 years, I think. That makes me feel really old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've been doing it on my own for over 20 some odd years now. Yeah. <clears throat> and, and prior to COVID coming along, what was the big, I mean, you know, you see obviously markets shifting in different directions. Were you involved in kind of every aspect of the market? Uh, when you, you know, when you say commercial, obviously it means a lot. It means warehouse, you know, uh, offices, it can mean retail. Did you just get involved in the whole lot or were you specific in one area? When, when I started, as I said, I did anything and everything, you know, no matter what. Uh, a transaction was a transaction and money was money. Uh, down the road, as I got better, they, the deals got bigger. Uh, I would say I got in more into multifamily and more into student stuff and more into warehousing just because of the area that I was in. Um, I, would, I didn't stay away from, but more of the corporate, uh, you know, high-end high office stuff, I didn't really do a lot with that just because that was just more of an institutional type play. Uh, I would say yeah. I was more in the mid-level stuff. It was just the people I could put together, the way I could do those deals. It was just better for me. Uh, and, the, and then the mid-market kind of stuff that I would do, those were the ones that were just a little bit more natural. Right. Um, again, didn't mean that I didn't do that. It was just more of something that I was, you know, I could go, hey, get X amount of land and we're going to go do X amount of warehouses. We're not going to do 200,000 square foot tilt-up warehouses. We're going to do mid-market warehouses, right? 
uh, there's a certain level of market that we could do there. And the guys that I were working with, all of them contractors usually, I was a real estate guy for them. Uh, and they're after me again now. Now that they have grandkids, they won't have stuff for their grandkids. Uh, <laughs> we're back around again. So that was just a more of a natural thing for me. And, and also, also, again, it had to do with the geographic area that I was in. Uh, I'm you know, not being in New York, so we're not going to go do walk-ups, right? We're going to do that other type of stuff. So it's just a more natural thing. Right. And um, when you when you're working on stuff, would you work on the occupier or the landlord side? Would it be a little bit of both? Both. Both. Um, it, it, again, it would depend on the deal. I would say on the landlord side, ironically, a little bit less um, only because, again, defined by the, the relationships that I had, it was a little more the occupier side just because of the nature of the deals that were or that went that way. Uh, those people would come to me more for representation than it would be on the other side. Having said that again, some of the times on the deals that I were doing, I would be the landlord side. So I'd do that. So I would say it would be probably more 70, 30 that way. I didn't try to make it that way. It just kind of happened that way. Uh, and okay. it worked out really well. And what has COVID done to the market? Um, I mean, what are your just initial thoughts about <sighs> How this thing's gonna... Well, the area that I that to talk about the deals that I've done in the area of from a warehousing standpoint, it's just booming. It's it's unreal. It's like uh, nothing happened to the market really. I, to a certain extent, I mean, I say booming, pretty much no. Uh, from a retail standpoint, obviously, it's it's hit it really really hard. Um, and again, it depends on a certain lifestyle. That has been devastated. Uh, restaurant been devastated. I mean, that's. I think that's pretty much across the board. The multifamily stuff still doing really, really well. Um, and I, this is, I just had dinner with a good friend of mine who's in the residential stuff. He said it's the busiest he's ever been. And he said uh, he actually feels a little guilty. <laughs> he said everybody is, you know, unfortunately in certain financial situations. He said he's literally hiring people. I know that's not commercial, but that's driving a lot of the stuff around it. Yeah. Uh, construction and all the other stuff around it. They can't. They almost can't keep materials. So that's driving a lot of the commercial. Uh, and again, that's geographic as much as anything. So the kind of stuff that I'm dealing with is doing pretty well, doing really well. The other stuff that I've seen that I've dealt with, a lot of it is doing the refi, the finance, uh, because the interest rates here in the United States are just historically so ridiculously down. Uh, a lot of people want to try to get out and, and put some stuff up because you can almost have it sitting just because of the interest rates, which I know uh, with your background, you understand some of those things. So that, I would say it's from a job standpoint, it's been tough uh, on some of those things. The rent control, I realize there's some things going on. Some of the stuff that I've done is around uh, colleges. Uh, that's where a lot of the COVID is because you get uh, 40,000 kids between the ages of 18 and 23. What's going to happen? Yeah. Uh, it's ridiculous. So Student housing and things like that. Yeah, but... It's kind of back and forth, uh, depending on what you're doing with that. And I've said this a thousand times. Um, if you pick a building out 20 years ago around the student housing and bought that building, what's it worth today? And if you bought that same building now, what's it going to be worth 20 years from now? Yeah. It's just it, real estate is time. Uh, if it's near a university and it's quality, I mean, if they quit making kids, maybe. But, you know, it's, it's still going to be really well. And if that's your strategy. Uh, if your strategy is just, I'm going to try to go in there in three or four years and do something with it, 
that's not, and I don't have that strategy. My strategy is, you know, and I've said this forever, build a dynasty, not a, you know, not a legacy. If you're not buying real estate for your grandchildren at a certain level, then what's the point personally from that, you know, that's my personal attitude about it. Um, so from, from a long-term thing, that stuff has always been great. The warehouse stuff, and again, in, in the middle market where I sit, and, and I'll bring up some instances, some of, the, some of the tenants came to us and said, hey, you know, we need a little relief when that was going on. So we said, sure, uh, but we'll tack it on the end. Yeah. You know? Some of them are like, well, we can't make it. You know, it's, I'm on both sides. I'm on both sides. So yeah. I'm certainly sympathetic. But at the same time, one of the strategies that we had, and I, this is from the last recession, since I'm old enough to remember, we almost went to them and said, what can we do to help you stay? Right. Be proactive a little bit. And that's what we yeah. did. But again, we put it on the other end. So we didn't raise, we didn't do whatever. And it was always all of them pretty much cordial. Um, everybody's still there. Everybody's doing decently. And it kind of depends on what business you're in. That's going to hit. Now, if you're in X supplies, uh, it's fine. Uh, yeah. All the construction and material related stuff, they're just pranking. Yeah, no, I've seen that. And in fact, we've had a couple of guys coming to us and I think it's, you know, the CEO spots an opportunity uh, some of the time. And uh, he kind yeah. of came, we've had a few guys saying, you know, can you do us, can you do something for us on the rent? And when you dig in deep and start looking at their financials, you see that they're actually after declaring a dividend for the year and it's been great for everyone. And all you'd be doing is transferring, you know, money from your balance sheet to their balance sheet. You're not actually like helping them at all. Yeah. You know, uh, it doesn't take a brain surgeon to look at some of that stuff again. I never found real estate too complicated, you know? Yeah. yeah. I, I don't know how to put that. It's, it's always just came to me. So at the same time, I've always looked at that as, I don't want to say partners or whatever. Um, I'd rather have them there long-term and look at that. I know you think of those kinds of things, but let's just keep them there and keep them going. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, what you just don't want is that you're being a bit of a mug and that they're taking advantage of you. I mean, we'll, we'll always, give somebody, you know, relief um, if they need it. But do they genuinely need it is the other thing. And I mean, are the shareholders still getting their full dividend? Well, then that's not really the same thing. You know? Yeah. And, and the, the type of tenants that we have, uh, they run everywhere from very A-level corporate to a little bit of mom and pop. And I'll be honest with you, I relate a little bit better to the mom and pop. And um, I, the relationship part of that is pretty easy. You know, it's yeah. Not a but problem. also, I found that the mom and pops are the ones that want to pay the rent. <laughs> yeah, and I want to keep them. And the they're corporate just, guys. Yeah, the corporate they, guys. They, they're like, yeah, yeah they want to for that. They're the ones that are like, yeah, whatever. I agree with you on that. Again, I relate very much to, and they'll be honest with you, and they'll flat out show you your bank account. The mom and pops. Here's exactly where we're at. You know. Yeah. So, yeah. Ah, I'm having flashbacks, man. Uh, that's definitely. I, I relate to this much more than the other stuff. Very much so. So tell me, now that COVID has, has come along, I mean, warehouses definitely, um, what do you see for the future? I mean, do you have any kind of insights in what you think? The, I mean, I've been having conversations with people about the office market and they're, you know, people are going to be working from home and all this kind of stuff. But there's another side to the argument that the market will just come back when COVID is gone. And that all right, well, let's you and I have a little bit of back and forth on this because I know you talk about it a lot. So I would rather us talk back and forth about this because I know you're very much involved in this. So, you know, it's, it, I think it depends on geography. 
a little bit. Uh, in the United States, and uh, you know, in New York, everybody got out of there. Not everybody. That's kind of so. Where do you go? And and everybody found out. Okay, it's cheaper to live and do X. Um, does everybody want to be in a certain office? I had a certain lifestyle. I called it the digital nomad, where I could be in certain cities. And if I have a laptop, I'm good to work anywhere. I chose to be in New York because that's where all the talent and all that real estate and tech stuff was. Um, do I love, I, I like collaborating. I like being at certain conferences. There's a, a part and piece of that. Do I like working at home on my couch? No, I'll be honest. I don't, you know, I, I don't know. So, so the stuff that you're involved in, I want to know what, what's happening in your backyard. You tell me what's going on. Well, we have, we have, a, we have a business park with uh, about 50 different corporate occupiers. And, they, um, and then before pre-COVID, we would have eight to 9,000 people a day show up at the business park every morning, either by a car or by bike or by public transport. And we have our own shuttle service that would transport about 3,500 people a day into our business park from the local train station or a tram line or whatever and at the moment i would say if we're even hitting five percent of that uh, that would be high and that's amazing yeah 95 percent of the buildings vacant at the moment now fully let multinationals paying their rent on time and all that but just completely empty empty and um, so I've been, you know, I've been co contacting them all and I've been asking them, how are they getting on? You know, is there any way we can help? And they're basically, a lot of them are of the view that the market is, is just crazy at the moment. We're not going to make any decisions. Uh, we're not going to reconfigure the buildings. We're not going to do anything. People can just work from home until this normality comes back and we can kind of get back into the office. And they all kind of expect it to take place around the middle of next year. Um, assuming vaccines are, you know, in distribution and things like that. Well, let me, do you think that, you know, does the environment need to be different? Was the environment bad to be, to begin with? Okay. In New York, I was in New York in a lot of offices and a lot of buildings, all these startups, all these companies I was around and they had the whole startup vibe and, and a lot of corporate offices, uh, you know, with the kitchens and the cereal in the tubes and the, the free beer, <laughs> free beer bad beer, by the way, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Um, what was wrong with those environments? And in New York, you know, it's like this because everybody has to be like this. And part of that is being in that vibe and having the meetings and talking and going out to lunch and going out to dinner because that's a sport in New York, yeah. right? That's a sport. And that's the value there. And if you don't have to go do that, is that a positive thing? Or to go to that business park? okay, I don't have to go there. And I, I think I had that lifestyle because then I could be with my kids at a certain level. Now they don't want to see me uh, <laughs> because they're grown or not. So uh, do you think that those people are going to like want a completely different environment? You talked about reconfiguring. What do you think? Do you have major league business park that you, that you pay attention to? I don't think, I think what's going to happen is I think probably the corporate uh, occupiers will adopt more of the agile workplace where you have hot desks so i think the technology and we'll get into a lot of that with yourself you know shortly but things like apps on the phone that allow you to choose your hot desk and and make sure that you turn up at the office and there actually is a desk for you things like that i think that's going to become more prevalent the the, the days of having a desk for every single employee i think are, are kind of gone because a lot of people i think do want the 
flexibility to be able to work from home when it suits them, as opposed to five days a week in the rush hour traffic going into the office. Who what do you that? No, I don't think anyone wants that. But I do think the office is essential. I mean, I miss the office. I enjoy I'm We're in lockdown here. We're in day 12 of a, or day 13 of a lockdown here, a national lockdown. And um, and it's, you know, it's well, apart from my daughter running in on top of me and things like that. It's it's not that big of a deal, but I'm not as productive here as I would be in the office for sure. Guaranteed. I agree. I mean, I, I think I'm doing more meetings and more stuff. Am I more productive or not? But the environment that I like the team that I work with, with Reach and the uh, Second Century Ventures and stuff, we're a remote team to begin with. Right. But we have to have that collaboration and that whole vibe of us being together. And though we're human beings, right? You have to have some of that stuff and the ideas yeah. and, I, you know, it's it's different than the charisma and, you know, all that, all those kinds of things. But collaboration and innovation does not happen over a Zoom, over a Zoom call. You know? No. It, it has to happen face to face. And uh, one of the things I've kind of identified, there's there's the four C's. There's there's concentration and there's communication. So concentration, sitting at home, you know, working away on your on your on your paper that you need to have out by this evening. That's fine. You can do that at home. Uh, communication, here we are talking across thousands of, of miles of ocean. That's easy to do from home to home or whatever. But collaboration and the community that you kind of need to work in, those two can only be done face to face. And those are the two things I'm missing the most. Yeah. I think. Very much yeah. so, because that environment to me is what drives everything else, right? Everything else. And whether it's the opportunities, or... like identifying opportunities and all of that kind of stuff, you know. I mean, so that's the thing for me. It's I don't think the office market is is going to change in a dramatic way. I think there may be a shift in, you know, towards using the technology more effectively. But I don't think this whole thing, I saw so many headlines and I just thought, for God's sake, you know, paper won't refuse ink. Um, on the end of the office and like, you know, anyone who's anyone with an office portfolio, oh my God, they're going to be finished now and all this kind of stuff. And I honestly don't. In terms of technology, let's, let's kind of chat about your role in technology because you're, you're big into the technology um, side of things. And, uh, and is that specifically prop tech when we're talking about technology? Yeah. Um, I, you know, I am the entrepreneur in residence for the uh, Second Century Ventures and the REACH program, which is a global program. Um, we have offices in Canada, Australia, the UK, and obviously the United States. And we have over 100 companies in our portfolio, and we're adding 30 companies per year. Are we the biggest? I don't want to get into all that stuff. Who's the biggest or whatever? I focus mostly only on commercial. Uh, occasionally, I'll pop around some of that. So the entrepreneur in residence, what is that? Uh, my job is to help assess and help these companies grow, help these companies integrate, help these companies collaborate with each other. So I look at a lot of technologies that are basically in and around commercial real estate. Is it transactional? Is it broker related? I Before I got on this call, I was watching a demo with a company out of Germany for building automation and all, you know, all the stuff that goes on with the building. And that's pretty normal for me. So there isn't too much of that stuff that I don't see or I haven't seen. Uh, and are we going to invest in them or not? So that's what I help that company do. So 
uh, as I mentioned before, when all when the recession hit the last time, that's kind of how some of this stuff started to go because I was around that that wave of. Now there's literally billions and billions of dollars that are into this, and now there are some of these building owners, monster building owners in New York and, and around the world, are starting to put billions of dollars into these companies um, because it's you know it's efficiencies. I could go on to all this kind of stuff, but that's uh, the role that I have there, uh, and it's something that. I, I don't know how to put it. I, I really enjoy dealing with these entrepreneurial people, trying to help them get their little, whatever their little idea, little company to X. And within Second Century Ventures, we have companies that are three or four people just kind of getting going all the way up to uh, DocuSign is in the portfolio. Or oh, really? Wow. An IPO. Yes. Doc uh, they're they're wow. doing really well. So I'm a client. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you. Um, I think most of the human race has been lately. They're yeah, really yeah. So you know that that whole spectrum. But most of that, uh, the companies that we we focused on are a little bit obviously more early. Uh, it took DocuSign ten years to get or longer to, to get where they're at. So uh, that's that's kind of been my focus there. Uh, and is there is there any particular segment of that? Or is it just, I mean, I mean, obviously you're by if you you're by adding 30 companies a year, then it's across the whole gambit of prop tech. It's pretty much. I mean, I'm just I'm just curious. I mean, is there any particular area that is is quite groundbreaking? I mean, uh, since COVID came along, obviously, you know, remote working and being able to sign a document remotely and all of that is becoming more and more relevant. The, I think I expect blockchain will become a thing where you can start buying, selling property an awful lot easier, more efficiently. I don't know about that. I don't know about that. Well, I mean, here in Ireland, we, you know, you've got to get documents that are a hundred years old and, you know, it's like, there has to be this chain of ownership. And so, do you need blockchain to do that? No, I guess, I guess. I mean, it's the ability to, um, you can digitize it. Yeah. To digitize it, I guess. Yeah. Okay. So to answer your question, there are so many parts and pieces of commercial real estate, okay? Again, take the building itself and everything that goes along with making that build, building function or the sustainability of that building or putting that building up just on the construction side. I think, and again, I want to be careful how to get quoted on this, but we have to build the equivalent of Manhattan, the square footage of Manhattan every month for the next 20 or 30 years just to keep up with the population, wow. right? And to put a building up, as you know, because of the office park, how wasteful is it to create a building? Yeah. It's ridiculous. So just the process of putting that building up, how efficient or how much more efficient could we be to do that? How much money is there just there? Okay, just there. And to run that building and as, as you went on. Now let's take the transactional side of that. Okay, how, how can we work that process from the fact I discover I want to purchase that building to the end of purchasing that building, the transactional part, you have the broker part of that. There's only so many things you can do with that. But just in the United States, just that part of, I think, and again, I'll be careful how I get quoted, but that part of our economy is maybe bigger than most countries' entire economies. Yeah. So how can we make that process more efficient? How can we make that, I'll say better, um, just simple things about documents, as you mentioned, in Ireland, where you have to get 100-year-old documents. Why, why isn't every one of those digitized? How much information and data can we pull out of that? Why isn't that document already standardized? I could go on and on. 
to, to answer your question about innovation and things like that, there's a company having a portfolio. They will go to your building, depending on how big it is or where it is, they will put solar on your building for you and pay you to do it. They're like, well, oh, that wow. sounds great. That sounds great. They're like, yeah, we'll do that. And you're like, well, how does that work? And they're like, well, let, let me show you how. And you're obviously, you know, it's on and on. There's so many parts and pieces. It's, it's endless. Yeah, yeah. It is commercial real estate. Just the broker and transaction side. Having said that, though, how many broker tools can you just really get brokers? I mean, or whatever you said, letting agents or whatever you call it there. There, there are just so many, though. All right. But yeah. at the same time, everyone's unique and different. How many data sets can we create? I mean, there's monster data companies out there now that are worth billions and billions of dollars. And they're buying more data companies mm. uh, to provide those data sets. On the, on the sustainability side and the cities and the environmental impacts, I could go Energy on. saving and all that, yeah. Oh, uh, just, just think of your office park. Yeah. We could walk through there for two hours and not run out of ideas, could we? Yeah. No, no, you're absolutely right. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a goldmine potential. <laughs> and I'm just trying to get in the middle of some of it, you know? <laughs> yeah, just take the cream off the top, yeah. Well, just, just your office park. There's literally got to be millions and millions of dollars of, of technology that in, in a very positive way could impact that. Uh, and, and let's talk about one here real quick. You talk about those people occupying that building. While they're coming in on your shuttle, why don't they have on their phone, right? And I'm sure that maybe they do. My building is, or my space is X. And I'm going to be in that space doing X. Or mm. I'm going to order lunch. Or I'm going to have this and this. There are companies that we've invested in, they flat out will do that. Yeah. Or why don't they have, I'm going to have a coffee waiting for me when I get there. Is that, is that too far out? No, it's not too far out. You know, yeah. boom. Or I'm going to have a meeting and we need to have a lunch catered there or brought in or whatever. That, that's pretty normal, right? Yeah. You know, just stuff like that. Um, that's Streamlining. Somebody, Streamlining. That's somebody's job. Um, and there's companies we have, they literally do ghost kitchens in those buildings. They will bring chefs in to, to make meals for the entire thing. And they are making some money doing just that, uh, even in residential blocks in, in Chicago and things like that. So just one structure, how much money is that? Every individual in that office building is a source of revenue. And yeah. how much are you not making from them? Yeah, it is. It's fascinating when you dig into it like that. I mean, I've heard them talking about data and, you know, that's going to be the next oil boom is going to be the data boom, you know, okay. collecting it. And um, I actually with it. Hmm? and doing what with it again. Yeah. So you have all those people, uh, thousands of people in your office park. And all you're doing is making money from the lease, right? That's it. Yeah, I mean, there could be other areas where you're kind of gleaning cash here, there, and everywhere. Oh. Yeah. How much? How much is every one of those people are? They are consumers, and from the minute they walk out their door until they go back to their door, Starbucks is making money from them. Everybody, but yeah, you, not you. So again, some of the building owners in New York, to them, that's a natural thought, because some of those are so vertical that they have certain. They have schools in there. They have grocery stores in those buildings. Yeah. So to them, it's a natural thought. Yeah, yeah. I know I can see how that would. I mean, certainly one of the, I talk about pivotal moments in my life. And in 1984, I went to New York with my, with my mother and father on a family holiday. We were going to go to um, 
Disney World or something like that. We stopped off in New York City and we spent a night or two nights in, in New York City. And I can remember going out as a teenager and looking at the skyscrapers. And at that point, I made the decision that I wanted to be an architect when I grew up because these skyscrapers are so impressive to me. And uh, fast forward to today and I see those, I actually think it was one of your posts on Twitter or something, and it's those towers that are being built, the big tall ones looking over Central Park. I, mean, I was in, I, and I remember you said something about that. I, I was walking up, uh, I, I hang out, well, I did hang out, right? At, um, I can, oh, I'm having a brain moment. Um, Rockefeller Center, uh, I would hang out there. And I walk up uh, Madison there, and I just happened to look up in 57th Street, you know, they call it Billionaire's Row. They have those skinny towers. Yeah. And, I and even for me, I was like, man, those things are monstrous. And they so are literally thousands of feet in the air, and they are this big. Yeah. And when you walk next to them, you can't even, I can't imagine, those things are not that wide. So they are... I think it is. I think the tallest or the thinnest one is one in twenty-four. Is yep. the is the scale? I mean, that's incredible. And I've been in it, and it's you can almost you're like, wait a minute. Yeah, it's waving. Is this thing? Yeah, I'm like, I don't know if I can live in this thing, man. But and you're back and forth. But it's there's some there. It's all inspiring, and it's amazing. And I the the money to get in those things is crazy. But um. Just, you can see how the, the data in something like that is so critical to in every aspect. I mean, even the the structural, you know, the structural data that you get, like the amount of wet, you know, swinging in the wind and stuff yeah. like that. Well, they have those dampers. I think you know they don't show them, but they have the dampers like every X amount of feet. And that we were we had a tour because I know people, and you know <laughs> we're in there doing all the stuff, and it was it was fascinating to see. And yeah. I, I'm not afraid of heights or anything, but we got up there, and I was like. Man, <laughs> way up there. Yeah. Uh, in the, you know, the Freedom Tower, we were way up there. And, you know, it's an amazing view. And I'm like, I don't know if I could live all the way up there. It's really cool, though. Yeah. Um, Freedom Tower is very stable. So it's just mind-blowing. And, of course, somebody, I think, from the UK said, well, that's America and your whole world. I'm like, yeah, that is maybe who we are. But um, it's, it's just it's awe-inspiring. It really is kind of cool. Uh, but then right next to it is some little... Chinese restaurant that's, you know, God knows what is that building work, right? Yeah. Literally right next to it is a Chinese restaurant that's like this. So I don't know. It's, uh, but yeah, you're right. What did it take to put that thing up? What did it take? <laughs> yeah. Technology, all that kind of stuff, the money. Uh, some of those people are holding those buildings for, they've held them for 40 or 50 years before they put stuff up there. That's their strategy. Yeah. Uh, never not fascinating. That's for sure. Tell me this, uh, some good advice over the years that you've received or that you've given, I mean, relating to the real estate market. Oh, my goodness. Well, I, like, again, it's the best I've received. Uh, when I got started, again, build, build a dynasty. Uh, think about your grandkids, regardless of what age you are, I would say grandchildren. Think about real estate in that term. Think about real estate as time. Uh, yeah. Sure, you can do buildings, and if you're, uh, your real estate is – Go raise a bunch of money, buy buildings, make them better, make them efficient, get the value up, crunch the debt, sell them off, go raise more money. I mean, you know, institutional real estate 101. Trading. I, I get that. Okay. Just like you're doing in your office park. I get that. Uh, individually to go do that kind of thing. I also think, and not just because I'm in the tech, um, and this is not me, you know, 
pumping it up just because it is, but why would you not use every tool possible to make it better? I, why would you not? And what, what is, what is an opportunity cost? I, you know, how, how can you measure or not measure? And uh, even from the broker side, why would you not use a CRM? Why would you not use certain tools to make yourself more efficient and make yourself more money? If, if you were in another business, it would just be obvious, right? Uh, those are probably the two things. From the real estate side, it's pretty easy. Just you know, buy, hold, and smash debt, right? That's yeah. pretty basic. Uh, from the tech stuff, has COVID, and they say it's accelerating. Part of me is it's self-perpetuating if you say that, but do you now have a choice? You know, how about your office park? Do you have a choice? Maybe you do. Maybe all these corporate people will just keep paying their rent. What if all of a sudden they stop? What would you do? Yeah. What would, what would happen? Then your, your thing completely goes, but obviously they haven't, which is great for you. But what if you had to totally rethink what you were going to do with this technology solve that problem? I don't think it does completely. No, it doesn't completely. I think what you have to do, I mean, certainly in my case, I, the reason I kind of, I like to talk about all this stuff is because it keeps me talking to guys like you and, and other people. I had Anthony Slumbers on a couple of weeks ago. And that old geezer. <laughs> that old geezer. We like, we had a good conversation about this as well. And the thing is, is, is that it's these conversations that you have, they get you out there thinking outside of the box and it gets you out of the little kind of place that you sit. And from my perspective, I think we do have to kind of look to the future and kind of say, okay, how's technology going to change? You know, the, the fact that we have virtual meetings and the ability for you and I to speak between Dublin and New York City, that is not going to change the need for us to have face-to-face -face and community building and all that kind of stuff. But it is going to change the way we structure our day, perhaps. And I yeah. think that there might be days when you decide, okay, I'm going to take Monday and Friday, I'm going to work from home because I, I like the extra bit of the weekend, but also I'm more efficient because I'm not sitting in the traffic and stuff. But then I do need those three days in the middle of the week to go out, meet people, go for lunch, catch up with my friends, yeah. uh, you know, and that's kind of how I think the, the, and so technology might assist us with actually doing that. Yeah. Kind. And, and as an example, they have conferences in the UK and unfortunately I didn't get to come to one. And we brought up Anthony. The last time I was in the UK, I had dinner with Anthony. He is the greatest dinner companion you've ever had. We had a great time. And I'm not yeah. snoozing him up, but I also had my daughter with me. She thought he was wonderful. And I'm, you know, I mean, you know what I'm saying? That's what I remember of Anthony. I, can, I haven't seen him in a while. You know, that we're, you know, how we would be friends. I haven't seen you in a while, right? Yeah. So we would meet back up. So it's like, okay, we can connect this way. But where is that global, again, we're missing that community. We're missing that ability to collaborate. At the same time, on a Friday, on a long weekend, you get to be with your beautiful daughter, right? So I need that. I need that connection. Sure, we can sit here and talk about it, but I want to go to dinner with Anthony and hang out and hear what kind of stuff that he's making up and talking about and running around and doing. And you're right. The other thing about this in this environment, uh, I always said with the stuff that I wrote, I tried to build the tribe, right? Well, the tribe yeah. has been built, um, but to get in the room with those really smart people, right? Really, really smart people. And say, oh, wow, like, I didn't think of that, or that's amazing, and this and that, and, you know, that, that's helped me so much over the period of these years. Um, am I smarter than? I'm absolutely not. You know, that's one of those classic things. you got to get in the room with that. So for, for people to go back to that office, that's the whole thing. And the thing that we talked about, some of these CEOs about, you know, it's better, I can have more control. Uh, nope. I don't, you know, I don't have a boss. I'll never have a boss. I am the boss. In, in my environment that I have, 
uh, with the REACH program, one of the companies said, well, who, who do I talk to in the, in the certain structure? I said, me, you know, and, it, it, and obviously there are certain structures there. And I said, if you talk, you know, I'm the one, I make the decisions in that, which everyone should be enabled to do that, right? Or you would yeah. hope so. That's the whole, that's why you hire those people, right? Otherwise, why would you need them? So those parts and pieces are there. Um, I agree with you very much. Who, who wants to be in their car two or three or four hours a day? And uh, I have a bunch of friends who come in and out of Connecticut and on those trains and stuff. Who wants to do that every day? Yeah. Um, I don't miss, you know, and I did it and it might be because of age or whatever, busting my tail through Penn Station and doing all that stuff and Grand Central. That stuff wears you out, man. How much, how, what's yeah. it worth? You know, I don't know. Maybe this is, I want to say a positive. There's not a lot of positive to it, but maybe it's made us come in, out and do this because I would much rather have that kind of environment, I think. Yeah, three or yeah. four days, I'll be in New York and I'll do my X, but then I'd, boom, I'm out here doing whatever else. Uh, does that make me better and more productive? I think so, very much so, because I don't want to grind you yeah. know, all those hours and all that stuff. I don't think it works. You know, and I do think that it's also, as we were saying it before, it's it's sectoral as well. And you know, you're going to have. I was speaking to somebody who runs a, an engineering firm recently, and I was asking them about their needs um, and work from home and all that. He says, it "Won't work for us because we're in it, because an engineering business they have part of their business is training up the grads to kind of fill the roles, and you can't train them up at home." You can train them up. They, they need to work under a senior manager or, or they need to work under a mentor, somebody who can kind of, they can overhear them having a difficult conversation on the phone. They can overhear stories that they're telling one another. That's the kind of thing you don't get from sitting home remotely. There's value there. Good friend of mine's an architect, done a lot of work in New York on Hudson Yards and different things. He does all the stuff with BIM, which yeah. I'm a huge advocate from and very underrated technology. You can collaborate and you can certain tasks you can do, you know, you can push that out to X people to do that sitting behind a computer. Yeah. But you still, you're right. There's other parts and pieces of that. That's a very, especially on something like Hudson Yards, you know, the big thing yeah. in New York, he did stuff on the tennis. How could you have to be there working with each other and talking and whatever I was in their office and that's exactly what they were talking about. So there are, there are parts and pieces that I agree with that. And you're right. It depends on the sector. And I would definitely want my architects working on all this structural stuff to make sure they're getting that together. Right. You know, I don't want them just winging it from their beach house somewhere, you know, yeah. you know, those <laughs> big tall ones. Right. It you looks fun. Get in room. Get in room. Get in room. Yeah. You know, yeah. definitely do that. Yeah. You know, yeah. Is it, is it critical? I think so. So it's, that stuff is fascinating. There's so many technologies that I think are underrated like that. though. Um, yeah. And tell us, um, uh, Duke, you're, you've got a great newsletter that you put out every week. And, and you have your own podcast as well, by the way, which I'll, I'll let you plug. Um, I'll be putting links in the show notes anyway to, to that. But uh, how much time do you have to sort of spend on, your, on putting your newsletter together? Um, um, you know, I did it for a decade. Um, I've been, you know, after the thing hit. And I just started writing because I could and nobody else was doing it. And I made a conscious decision to do it a certain way um, because I could get away with murder because I'm not working for anybody. Also, um, that's a little bit of my personality. Uh, um, I, it, it was almost like a muscle. Once you kind of get going, 
you know, it just is there. Uh, I got, oh, when I started, I get, you have bad grammar, you have bad sentence structure and you can't write really well. I'm like, yes, that's exactly <laughs> what I was going for. Now, for me personally, I also, somebody asked me to write some things for them and they wanted to pay me and I did it and I did it anonymously just to prove to myself you can. Yes, I can do exact, and it's corporate as hell, and you would never think it was me, right? Right. So I do it in my own style on purpose, so it doesn't. I got to write something uh, for this Thursday. Um, it doesn't take that much anymore. It's just me letting my brain flow. I also, after all this period of time, after a decade, I feel kind of like this is going to make me sound old school as shit, but. You know, I feel like the Beatles, you know, or Paul McCartney. I'm just playing the hits a little bit. It's kind of the same stuff regurgitated a little bit, just in a different vein, because I've already kind of written it and it's already kind of been there. Um, but maybe new people are seeing it in a different way. The other thing was, uh, you know, I did turn off my website. Uh, I noticed but, that. Yeah, I was trying to I was trying to do a bit of background research. And I said, oh, your website's down. I, I burned out. I just burned out. Um, I wrote over 1,100 articles. It wow. was twice a week for only, for 10 years. So write a thousand words twice a week for a decade, and put them up for the entire world to see, and take all the shit that comes with that. Okay, <laughs> you're gonna get a lot. Um, and I was willing to do that. And somebody said to me, "How can you possibly do that and take all that stuff?" And I'm like, eh, "At a certain point, you just don't care." Uh, but at the same time, I built up an audience, which was ridiculous. Every year by about August, I would get a million views. And I was like, that was just blowing my mind. I was like, I can't believe there's that many people that would read my crap, you know? Yeah, so, yeah. And at the same time, there became a point where it didn't matter. Um, or I put a tweet out about what I had for lunch, which everybody jokes about, but they'd get 5,000 impressions in an hour, you know? Yeah. ridiculous. So having said that, um, can you use that environment like you are to push things forward in a very positive way, which I think you do. You do great on your videos, by the way. Um, and I did a little bit of video for a while and I can't do it. I can't stand to see myself on a video. I just can't. I'm, I'm not afraid of the camera, but I just don't like it. So, you know, if it doesn't resonate with me, it's not something I enjoy, then I'm not going to do it. There are some people they can't get away from the camera. I can't get away from it fast enough. So okay. everybody has their thing. You're again, you're great at it, right? You you do a really good job. It also takes, as you mentioned, a lot of time and effort, right? So, so if you're gonna write a thousand or fifteen words twice a week, it's you gotta read a lot, you gotta research a lot, you gotta produce a lot, putting these podcasts together, you gotta reach out, you gotta get a hold of me. It took a lot of time, right? And how do you monetize that? So there's another part of that. And I did start to monetize it with my site because yeah. I figured. If I'm going to do it, and then I had friends of mine, look, we'll put banners up. I'm like, let's do it, you know? And when I turned off that site, there was a lot of money I was making doing that. But, you know, it was just time to push that out. So the newsletter, it, you know, I got it on kind of autopilot now. Right. Depending on what I write, it maybe takes me an hour to two hours every week. So I'm like, yeah, it's not that big of a deal. And I, I'm also trying to do more. I don't know. I'm trying to be more positive about some of the stuff I'm pushing out because, you know, you can rant and rave only so much and you just sound like an asshole after a while. <laughs> right. Uh, somebody got to me and they said, look, you, you cuss too much. Your standards are this and that and the other. And I went off 
and I literally wrote something with a certain word, every other word on purpose. I think I actually remember that. Yeah, yeah but it's like, who's standards? Who's standards? And yeah. if you're trying to have someone's standards, which I'm sure you have wonderful African standards, um, are you trying to control me or define what that is? And what are your standards better than mine? And who are you to say that, right? Yeah. So, uh, and who else? And I've had so many positive responses from the fact that people are like, you just say what everybody else is thinking and you get away with it. I'm like, well, if I worked at Big Green, I would not. And here's something somebody said to me, and I can't remember who said it. You got a lot of people that are on Twitter writing and doing different things and they'll say stuff political or whatever. But if you're the CEO of Big Green, you should not, right? Because yeah. you're representing the brand and the shareholders. And somebody said to me, if you're out ripping on Twitter and saying what you want and, and uh, saying political stuff and you're still representing a thing, then your voice really doesn't matter. And that blew me away. I was like, mm. wow, that was interesting. So you could be at Collier's and say whatever you want about politics. That means you don't have a voice. I thought, whoa, that kind of hit me after all these years. So I, um, I don't know. I, the media part of it, again, I always think of myself as a broker first, as a real estate guy first. The tech is part of it, and the media is this. A tiny bit. I never yeah. think of myself as the media. Uh, having said that, if I'm a little bit of a voice, the other thing that I've learned and the people that work with me now learn, if there's a hot mic somewhere in a stage, keep Duke away from that. <laughs> <I'll be> up there. <laughs> let's, let's not let him up there because he will just go with no filter. It's like I have Tourette syndrome or something when I get up there because um, I'll just say whatever I want. Uh, you know, why not use what we have now? Because again, you and I can communicate back and forth. And if I pop that newsletter out, literally thousands and thousands of people. Do I need it for the ego and everything? I went well beyond that, man. Yeah. Uh, 10 years, I can imagine, Jeff. I'm only yeah. going for six months now at this stage. <laughs> uh, after the first two or three people came up to me years ago and were like, wow, I read your stuff and it's great. And I was like, that's really cool. And then after that, I'm like, they look disappointed. Like he's just some fat guy from the Midwest. You know, he's not really excited. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's, that's really actually who I am, you know, <laughs> hiding behind the computer and shit, you know, <laughs> like he really wasn't that impressive after I met him. I'm like, well, thank you for that. No, you know, it's like, <laughs> it was different and you can't express yourself in a different way. Uh, anybody who can do it with video and do it well, God bless. But I also wrote a thing about the video stuff where all these people are putting on these big videos and doing all this stuff. And you look on YouTube, it's got 12 views. And you know, yeah. six, six of them were you. <laughs> yeah, wrote, watching it a second time, yeah. I wrote this, right? I literally wrote this where I had a thing in my apartment where I had a little, you know, mini heater because, you know, it's New York. And I looked on there how to do something with it and had 56,000 views for the heater. And I wrote this. I said, the heater's kicking your ass. You're doing videos for real estate. You know, put your face on there. It's getting 12. The heater's got 56,000 views, right? So there, there's, a, there's a fine line there. If you're out doing it, though, to push your business park and do something, that's a different thing. If you're just standing there to show your face, I'm like, come on. You know, there, there's a certain way to do it. And I went through a little phase of that. And I don't know the media part of it. I guess if that's what you're asking, um, I still don't know why. Why do I do? Why do you do it? Yeah, it's something similar. It's like I, I guess you feel like you have an opinion and you want to get it out there. And um, but you yeah. have an informed opinion, right? Yeah, I guess. Yeah, 
because of where have you been, what you've done, what, you know, just the thing that you have now, right? And that, I think that's, there's a value there um, to maybe help, do you think? Well, do you know where, where it's interesting is I get, since I started the podcast, I get a lot of messages on LinkedIn and things like that from guys and they saying, you know, finding your, your, your podcast really helpful. And, you know, I was thinking of buying something and now I know, you know, exactly what I want to do, you know, having listened to it. So when you hear those, that kind of feedback, it can kind of, it, it does motivate me to kind of keep putting the stuff out there. I, I think there's a real place for that more practical stuff. I mean, we're just sitting here chatting and running, but if somebody were to put that in a positive way, I think there's a lot of value there. Where can you find that? Now we're in a generation now that I could pull up a YouTube and this guy is flat out telling me how to build a portfolio. Where, where did we have that? Yeah. Right? yeah I wish there were people actually kind of hiding that from us, weren't they? Cause it was a competitive environment, you know, cause you had to go get your friends. You had to figure it out. I went to school for it. So I had a little bit of that, but you know, think about that. That is, there's a lot of value there. Uh, also that would be your opinion about how to build a portfolio, but a lot of, you know, I do get back when I started, right. I got a lot of the, how do I get into commercial real estate stuff? Uh, because the people were, you know, I resonated with a little bit of younger ish crowd at that time. And they're like, you know, I'm in resi, I'm in this and you're a broker and you're running your mouth. And so people would flat out ask me, how, how could I do this? How could I got that a lot. Just yeah. more of the audience. I'm like, and I would tell them uh, the one thing I said was, you know, it only takes 54 or 55 hours in the United States to get your broker's license sitting at the Holiday Inn. In the United States, it takes two and a half years of classes to be able to cut hair. <laughs> Compared to two, yeah. What's that to, in the United States? So what's that tell you? Even though I did go to college for it, I'm just telling you. Welcome to the jungle, buddy. So <laughs> there's a fine line there, you know? And God bless the people that are cutting my hair. I'm glad they went to that school for that. So uh, <laughs> it's, it's an unfortunate fine line. I don't know. I... I the kind of stuff that you put out though, if it's more of that, unlike Anthony, the stuff that he writes, he and drawer and some of those people, that's really quality stuff. Yeah. In fact, I, I just edit Amazon delivery today and it's, it's drawers book. There are those guys. I love those guys. I yeah. put a bunch of stuff out on Twitter and push their stuff out. See, that's quality stuff. And you can sit on your behind it in your, in your, on your couch and read that. Um, those guys are great. My stuff is trash compared to that kind of stuff. But I, um, that's wonderful. And I hope they make billions with it. Good for them. You know, uh, and that takes a lot of time and effort and thought. You know, good for them um, to monetize it in other ways. You know, everybody asked me that. How do you monetize it? So look, I'm smart enough. You know, don't worry about it. I'm, I can't remember. Somebody thought, uh, are you, I had literally had somebody one time pay me to put their, their uh, banner ad in my email signature. You know what I said? Sure. Because you know what? I could be bought. I'm like, somebody's going to pay me to put their thing in my email signature. I, I'll do it. You know, I have no problem with it. You know what I mean? It's just weird yeah. stuff. Happened. I did it to, just to freak my daughter out, you know? But that's just crazy. That's crazy. Oh. Duke, in, in terms of we're going to finish up now, the um, I was just going to ask the final question is, Having had this conversation, I'm quite interested to hear what you, what advice would you give your 20 year old self starting out? That's a really good question. Um, first of all, you're an idiot um, at 20. You think you know, yeah. You're an idiot. And uh, that girl 
you should marry her. Uh, there's there's enough that one you should marry, you idiot. Uh, the second one is uh, you're only going to use 10% of your brain, you dummy. Uh, the third, uh, let me see. What would I tell my 20-year-old self? Uh, you need to work a lot harder than you did. Quit wasting time. Uh, you can probably accomplish a thousand percent more than you have. And anybody that says at a certain age that they don't have regrets is full of shit, right? You could have built a thousand things more than you have. So I think it's, you know, all that stuff that people talk about, you, I could have worked a lot harder. You know, I really could have and I should have. Doesn't mean I didn't, but I could have worked a lot harder. I should have networked and built better relationships earlier. Um, my 20 year old self, Mary, I already said marry that one girl. Um, stay away from the booze. Stay away from the booze. Take better care of yourself. And the other thing I'm gonna tell my 20 year old self, you still are gonna suck at golf. You still are gonna suck at golf. I don't care how many lessons you have, your short game is still gonna suck. Right now, my 100 yard in, oh my God. It doesn't, I, I take, it doesn't matter what I'm doing. I still can't hit, my wedge game is just shit, but uh, it's just never gonna be any good. So that's what I would tell myself. Great advice there, Duke. Um, I, if somebody wanted to reach out for you, how's the best place, what's the best place to find you? Duke Long at DukeLong.com, uh, Twitter, Duke Long. Um, I've been there for like 12 or 13 years. And why would Twitter. you reach out to me? Yeah, question, but you never know. We might, but somebody might want some advice buying it. Really? I don't know if I'm the guy or not. But Gavin, <laughs> I, I love what you've been doing. You've been so wonderful. It was nice meeting you. Didn't we meet in the UK? Yeah, we met in the future prop tech, I think it was. Yeah, and I'm going to I'm going to be speaking at the Helsinki um, at uh, Rico Tech next in two weeks' time. I think you were speaking at that before, weren't you? Oh yeah, that's when I went and jumped into the Baltic Sea and froze my behind off. I'd say yeah, you had a really good time. That. Yeah, yeah, but I, I I went into the in the sauna, but I had clothes on. Okay, okay, okay. I guess that's you. how I roll. <laughs> well, thank you, thank you for having me. I I enjoyed just kind of having a chat, man. Great to see you, Duke. Thanks a million. And um, I hope to see you again soon. All right. Thanks a lot. All right, guys. I hope you enjoyed that discussion with Duke Long and nice long one. That's the end of episode 28 of Behind the Facade. Please check out the show notes for all the links to the stuff mentioned today. Quite a lot of stuff mentioned. Also, I've put a link to the episode that I had with Anthony Slumbers. Thank you so much for listening. To any new listeners who've joined the community, please check out the Facebook group. It's called Behind the Facade Community. And in that group, you can connect with me directly, ask uh, topics, questions that you'd like to be covered in, in future episodes. Please check out my own website, gavinjgallaher.com forward slash go. And that will bring you straight to the sign up for my newsletter or my email list. Now, I can assure you I do not issue regular emails because i find them a bit spammy but um in my case usually i just send out something that's important like reference to my new book and um, which is coming out soon if you found this episode useful please consider leaving a quick review um or a five star rating and because it really helps with the algorithm and just gets the uh, it just gets the podcast out there in front of more people you can connect with me on social media uh, using the handle gavin j gallagher 
and you can also find I have a good deal of video content on my channel PropTech TV all one word so guys that's it until next week I wish you all a great week and good luck to you all see you soon